0: top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball, and if you love
1: Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On the show today, I'll have an interview with former Notre Dame All-American and former minor league baseball player, Brant Ust, My colleague Jim Ward will also break down some audio from a current Major League player with a strong Irish heritage. Jim will close the show with some more Irish American baseball history. Right now, let's turn things over to Jim Ward to get us started.
2: Thanks, Rick. On a recent episode of The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, members of the Irish American Baseball Society got to see an interview with Kansas City Royals first baseman and right fielder Ryan O'Hearn. To watch that entire conversation and for more episodes of The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, visit irishbaseball.org. In this cut from that interview, Ryan O'Hearn talks about a road game against the Brewers where his family showed up to support him. Well, the support paid off for the left-handed hitter who got the chance to come off the bench and make some magic happen.
3: That was a good day for me. Um, You know, just in batting practice before the game, there's you know, I don't see a lot of O'Hearn jerseys, especially on the road. But I saw quite a few that day. As all my family there, you know, they had the O'Hearn jerseys on, and they're they're yelling and screaming during batting practice, and they were all fired up all game. And um, you know, obviously, they were disappointed that I wasn't in the lineup, but it was a lefty, and you know, I figured that was going to be the case. So I kind of prepared them, hey, I'm probably not going to start, but it's uh, a nationally game, so I could be in at any point. And then, uh, you know, just the way it worked out was was pretty crazy. It's It's weird, man. It seems like every time I'm on the road playing in a place where I have a lot of people there or uh, it's a familiar place or it's there's something special, why, you know, it means something to me, something good always happens. It's like the good Lord's looking out for me or whatever. But um, that was a cool moment, you know, rounding second base. Obviously, it's great to hit a homer, especially put your team up, you know, in a big league game. And that's huge. But, uh, you know, rounding second base and seeing, you know, my dad uh, just couldn't be smiling any bigger and all his buddies around his brothers and everybody. And it, it was a pretty cool moment.
2: That was Ryan O'Hearn on the crack in the bat on Irish baseball TV. I'm Jim Ward and you're listening to the Irish baseball podcast. It is kind of cool to hear Ryan talk about the support of having family around him and a little history on uh, Ryan Patrick O'Hearn. He was born on July 26, 1993. He was an eighth round pick of the Kansas City Royals out of Sam Houston State University, where he was drafted after his junior year, where he batted 292 with 8 home runs and 44 runs batted in in 62 games. In his high school career as a senior, he hit five oh five with 15 home runs and 55 runs batted in, earning him a spot in Baseball America's second-team high school All-American. He was not drafted out of high school in the 2011 MLB draft. He instead... Enrolled, played college baseball at Sam Houston, as we mentioned, and then was drafted in 2014 after his junior year. In both of those type of eras where you're playing in high school baseball and college baseball, you have your family around you a lot. It's when you stop moving into the professional ranks uh, where your family isn't around you as much. And growing up in Bilrica town, Billerica, Mass, that had a town we had a few guys that made the pros in multiple sports from hockey to baseball to Major League Lacrosse and stuff and talking to all of them when they come back after graduating and going into professional ranks the one thing that they all say it's tough not having your family around you so when you do get that family support at the ballpark whether they come out to visit you for your Major League debut or your first professional game whether it's in the minor leagues or wherever it is no matter where it is, to see them show up there wearing your swag, wearing your jersey, or wearing your hometown jersey, or whatever it is, it gives you that little boost. And Ryan eloquently talked about that and having that support. And, you know, this year wasn't a bad year for Ryan. He played 84 games this year. Uh, He had nine home runs, 29 batted in. Uh, Certainly a bounce-back year coming off the uh, COVID season. Uh, He... He was one of those players that did test positive last year and only got to play forty two games and only hit one ninety-five with two home runs and eighteen bat in. So it did affect him. So having a bounce back year this year and talking about how his family came out to see him, you know, certainly gives you that extra boost to do well. Hearing Ryan talk about that was just really inspiring. And uh, I know talking to guys like Tommy Glavin, Gary D. Sarcina, his brother Glenn. Some of these other guys, uh, guys like Ray Bork, who I got to meet, and uh, Johnny Busick of the Boston Bruins, and Cam Neely, and some other guys, you know, they all talk about the one thing, having family. It's so important having your family there, uh, especially when you're coming up as a young player. And Ryan O'Hearn is off to a great start with the Kansas City Royals, and we wish him the very best and hope to have him back fairly often here on the Irish Baseball Podcast and also on the crack of the bat on Irish Baseball TV. For more episodes of The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, why not visit our website at irishbaseball.org. I will now turn things back over to my colleague Rick Becker. I'm Jim Ward, and this is the Irish Baseball Podcast.
1: We'll hear more from Jim with some Irish-American baseball history in just a few minutes. First, I recently had the chance to talk with former Notre Dame All-American and former minor league baseball player Brant Ust. Thank you for joining us.
0: No, Great for, for having me, Rick. Thanks for reaching out.
1: So I think where I want to start here is talking about some of your Irish heritage because I don't know if the last name Ust really <laughs> screams Irish heritage. So I know it's there. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, Ust
0: is as Hungarian as it gets. That's my father's side, but my uh, my mom, my mother, my mom, she's uh, she's an O'Brien uh, through and through, and her mother, my grandmother Annie O'Brien, were first generation English. Uh, they settled and, and were, were born and raised uh, in Burley, uh, England, which is in New Hampshire, in the New Forest in the southern part of England there. But my great-grandparents uh, came over from Ireland and to England uh, in about 1915. Margaret and Andy O'Brien from Wexford County. Uh, corthy and uh, Clin Roche were their two towns in Wexford County. So let's where you trace our Irish roots. I uh, forget how many generations that, that makes us remove, but my, my great-grandparents were, came over from, uh, from Ireland in the uh, early 19, 1900s, and um, here we are uh, dispersed throughout the United States as a result.
1: And you do mention that English heritage that you have in your background, and that played a part in some of your baseball experience because you actually have two tours with the great Britain national team if you could talk about that for a second I think that's really interesting
0: no it was, it was a very uh blessed and fortunate childhood we we lived overseas in Europe uh, my, my parents met uh, my dad's an American my mother's English obviously and, uh, they, they met in Italy when my dad was in the navy and, and they uh, met they got married overseas and, and decided to live the first i guess uh oof, 10. 10 to 12, actually no, 20 years or so uh, overseas in Europe. Um, three other siblings total. My sister and I were born in, in Brussels, Belgium. I have a brother that was born in uh, what was West Germany in Hamburg. Uh, and then an older brother that was probably the most traveled and European of us all, but he was actually born in New Jersey. And so we lived overseas, uh, lived in England for primarily just outside of London. That's where I played my first baseball. I was actually joking with my 12 my year old the other day. I, I was on the, uh, the UK Little League uh, champion team of 1988. We came up short with that trip to uh, Williamsport, but um, my baseball was played on uh, US uh, shared bases there in the eighties in England. Uh, We still have family on my mother's side uh, over there. And um, a lot of my childhood upbringing was England and and European based, and it allowed me the opportunity by being a dual citizen uh, and having those passports to Being one of my most memorable baseball experiences just overall in that 2007 European Championships uh, when we made a run at the Dutch for that Olympic spot, came up short. But um, I think to this day, it's the highest finish of of a GB team at the European Championships.
1: And you also took advantage of having some of those different passports to play for Team USA a couple of times as well. So if we could hear about that, it's sort of interesting to compete for multiple countries in international play
0: yeah a little bit of a free agent internationally um i had the good fortune my first interaction with, with team usa was on the collegiate national team after after my sophomore year at notre dame uh and uh got to play for the hall of famer ron polk um on that team and, and uh, got to know a lot of uh guys and we gosh that that summer we based out of tucson we had to go qualify down in managua uh nicaragua uh then we did a east coast trip before we headed out to um sicily uh for the world championships uh so man that was a that was a fun summer representing usa uh and then i had the opportunity when i was a professional to uh to play on one of the professional teams in in 2005 at the world championships in uh in the netherlands in holland uh played for davy johnson on that team so that was another wonderful manager and experience to have uh in that realm and then i had the good fortune when i was done playing uh, paul seiler i think i you know, uh, gave them such a hard time, but I wanted to work for USA Baseball and, and had a, a fun experience uh, uh, directing their 18U national team and alumni relations for a four-year stint before I got into this collegiate athletics uh, administrative role.
1: So moving around so much in your youth and playing baseball in so many different areas and different situations, when it came time for college, what made you pick Notre Dame? How did you even get on the radar for some of these places, considering you didn't have necessarily the traditional AAU background?
0: Well, so we, we moved back to the States. I was still pretty young it was fifth grade. And, but I, you know, from from the onset, uh, my, my dad had gotten me, he, he grew up a, a product of the uh, New York, New Jersey subway alum. He was a Notre Dame supporter. We would listen to um, Notre Dame football uh, on the armed forces radio growing up in, in the 80s in England. And then that kind of grew to listening to Joe Montana lead the 49ers on Armed Forces Radio. And of course, being a child of the 80s, Joe Montana was was my favorite uh, athlete. And when I made the connection that he went to Notre Dame, it made me follow Notre Dame even more. And then as I got older and appreciated the academic uh, uh, reputation of a place like Notre Dame an institution and being an Irish Catholic myself, um, it was kind of not a matter of if, but when and how I'd be able to find my way to, to Notre Dame. And, and they used to play in a, uh, a tournament out in Seattle, uh, the old Kingdom. was the Kingdom Classic. It was a great college baseball tournament that, that Washington would host. And Notre Dame came out every year. That aligned with my senior year. And they came out and watched me play and practice and, and met with Coach Maneri and Coach O'Connor uh, at the time. And, and uh, all they needed to say that there was an opportunity for me to go there and I was all in. Uh, and, and I kind of took off from there.
1: So you had the experience in college at Notre Dame, then you went and had a pretty long professional career, and then you come back and decide to sort of work back at the college level. Was that something that goes back to your time at Notre Dame where you really enjoyed the college game? What made you go that route maybe instead of sticking in the pros in a different level or something like that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I often think and wonder but I continue to be informed by my um, student athlete experience at Notre Dame and and, and all of us that are student athletes at the college level that have the fortune and blessings to continue as a professional and I emptied the tank I played probably longer than I should have uh, and and tried to play as long as I could I mentality that if you've got a uniform on you've you've got a chance to, to try to get to the big leagues and uh, but when I when that time did come to transition out, uh, I was ready, and and I think it's it's unique to everybody when when they feel that they're ready to move on. And I was very fortunate to have a Notre Dame degree and a wonderful network of people willing to help help make that transition to life after baseball. I did coach my first year at the University of Michigan, which was you know tough for a Notre Dame grad to do, but uh, you know it was a, it was a wonderful experience. We, my my wife and I were living in Ann Arbor at the time, and it was just a great opportunity to re-engage with the collegiate setting. And I think that's really what directed me and uh, made um, more present how important that that time at Notre Dame as a collegiate student athlete was to me. And, and it's um, been, it continues to keep me engaged and informed uh, with, with kind of the ever-changing collegiate athletics uh, landscape.
1: You talk about feeling like maybe you stayed in the pro game a little too long, but I have to imagine that you know that you can't go back. So you have to try to get as much out of that experience as possible. If they're still paying you to show up to the ball yard, I can't imagine turning that down. Right?
0: No, look, it's uh, it's you're hooked as a kid and and being able to do that for as long as you can uh, at the levels that you can. um, There wasn't much convincing, you know, as, as you got older, older in the game, so to speak, um you you were met with the realities and challenges of maintaining that uniform and keeping it on and making sure when you you turn the corner in the clubhouse that your your stuff was all still in your locker um but uh, you know it's 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 part of that drive I think that we all have and had and um that you you wanted you know you were you were two for four away from being in that lineup again and and, and making a run at it but the the experiences too with with the teammates uh the Um, I I tried to go about my business in a a good way because it it is so small, the world of of sports and especially baseball, that many of the folks that I either played with, played for, a lot of the folks that worked in the front office, a lot of those that took chances on me when I was a minor league free agent, I've leaned on them, they've leaned on me me in this post-baseball playing career and it's great to have that that ability to to reach out and feel confident that someone will pick up the phone or or vice versa, that you can do something for somebody uh, because we all know kind of what we went through uh, together. I've also become a great connoisseur of uh, diners and drive-ins with all the minor league towns and cities I I came through and I find myself uh, passing through every now and then, or, or especially working in a collegiate Uh, a campus atmosphere when you ask somebody where you're from i'm like oh no you've probably never heard of it i'm like well try me there's a good chance i uh passed through there or or played a four-game series at some point
1: so i've moved around a lot in my life not as much as you've moved around in your life but i have a fair amount and i lived in pennsylvania for a while i got to see you play when you were with erie when you were with altoona I think when you were with Toledo, you came a couple areas around me. So as somebody who is definitely familiar with going through small towns in Pennsylvania, I have to ask, are you more of a sheets guy or a Wawa guy? That's <laughs> a,
0: it's a good question. I think I, I, I settled more Wawa to be honest, they're, they're, they're subs. You know, we're, we're trying to make that $20 a day meal money, which I think, and gosh, I hope has in, increased. We were trying to, to stretch it as far as we could between trying to feed ourselves and, and also tip, tip the clubby out. Uh, I think I settled more in the Wawa world.
1: To be honest, I was always more of a Sheets guy, and I'm sure that his fans from his time with the Altoona Curve weren't happy to hear him pick Wawa. Sheets was actually founded in Altoona, Pennsylvania. You'll be able to hear more of my interview with Brant Ust in a future episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. He currently works as an assistant athletic director at Auburn. We will hear a lot about that role and we'll talk about some people he met throughout his minor league career who have influenced him in his life. I'm Rick Becker and we will now turn things back over to my colleague Jim Ward to wrap up the show with more Irish-American baseball history.
2: Thanks, Rick. Smiling Mickey Welch wasn't a big kid when he grew up in the largely Irish Williamsburg section of Brooklyn in the 1860s and 70s. Due to his lack of size, the right-handed pitcher had to learn how to focus on his control and changing speeds to get hitters out, even at a young age. He must have developed some pretty good stuff in those early Sandlock games because... He grew up to post a 307 and 210 record over 13 seasons with the Troy Trojans and the New York Giants. Although he made only one appearance on the mound for the Giants in 1892, so it would be more accurately described as a 12 year National League career. Welch's greatest season would probably have been the 1885 campaign with the Giants. The righty put up a 1.66 ERA en route to a 44-11 and record, just shy of 500 innings pitched. As a matter of fact, he put up that sub-2 ERA in a season in which he also led the National League in walks. The prior season, 1884, Smiling Mickey set a big league record that still stands to this day, but he didn't get the official recognition for the feat until after his death in 1941. It happened on August 28th of that season. Welch started a game against Cleveland with nine consecutive strikeouts. However, the New York catcher dropped one of those third strike pitches and the batter reached first base. Many sports writers at the time would not credit the pitcher with a strikeout in such instances. It wasn't until years later that researchers looked into the situation and rectified the record. No major league pitcher since has started a game with nine straight strikeouts. Smiling Mickey's parents, John and Bridget Walsh, were both Irish Catholic immigrants from County Tipperary. Information about his parents is limited, but it was around 1865 that a New York census first showed the change in the surname from Walsh, W-A-L-S-H, to Welch, W-E-L-C-H. While many speculate on the reason for the change, it did help differentiate the family in a Brooklyn field with Irish families named Walsh. It is Welch that appears on Mickey's plaque at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. He was selected by the Veterans Committee in 1973. At the age of 20, Welch married 18-year-old Mary Wellahan while Mickey was playing minor league baseball. Their 56-year marriage produced nine children. After his playing career, Welch worked for a number of different jobs, from running a saloon to working in the milk industry and, most notably, returning to the New York Giants on occasion. At one point, Smiling Mickey Welch served as an usher for the Giants And by all accounts, he spent much time spinning long yarns about his story-playing career as he was helping fans to reach their seats. To learn more about Irish-American baseball legends like Smiling Mickey Welch, visit the Irish-American Baseball Society at irishbaseball.org. I'm Jim Ward, and this is the Irish Baseball Podcast.
1: From my colleague Jim Ward, Kansas City Royals player Ryan O'Hearn, and former Notre Dame All-American and minor league baseball player Brant Ust, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 21 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. You've been listening to
0: the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. And remember there's no place like home.